Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak Podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me for episode number 203. Now today I am speaking to the unbelievably great Andy Timmons. Man, one of my all-time favorites. Do you know, if you look up the word tone in the dictionary, they've just got a picture of Andy. Look up phrasing, look up feel, look up taste all that good stuff. Andy is back with a new album called Electric Truth. It is fantastic and Andy tells us all about it. It's produced by Josh Smith, another amazing fantastic guitar player. We get the background on that, all the tones, all the guitars, all the composition. We deep dive into modulation and uh, throughout the interview Andy's plugged in and sounds incredible. So my, my heart and my brain was exploding in this uh, little concert for one that I was experiencing as I got to chat with Andy Timmons. So I am super stoked to share it with you. Let's just jump straight into our conversation. The Guitar Speak Podcast 203 with Andy Timmons. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you? I'm good, man. Where, where are you? You're Australia? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. In Sydney? Okay. Yeah. Oh, man, I love Sydney so much. I love... Australia in general, but I've had some very good times in Sydney over the years. So yeah, nice, nice. Look forward to coming coming back someday. That'd be cool, man. That'd be so good because you came here with um, O N J. We we call her Olivia Newton John. Y- yeah, I think uh, at least at least three times, maybe once for some rehearsals. But they, yeah, we did uh, shows there at least on two different tours. We got to record a DVD at the Opera House there with a symphony. So Fantastic. that was. Kind of a career highlight, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm so happy that that part of my life with Olivia was documented in such a nice way, you know. Yeah, very cool. So very, very, very fond memories, and she's just one of my favorite people that I'll ever work with, you know. Nice, nice. And a hand, a handy way to go to Australia with royalty. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like not a bad way to see the country. Absolutely. Have you been here yeah. um, as Andy Timmons? Have- I I have not I not for clinic tours not for any band stuff so sadly no I hope to repair that situation sooner than sooner than later you know yeah cool we'll hope to that'd be nice well people are playing gigs again um you're playing gigs you've you've launched your yeah, album sl- slowly but surely yeah we've done a few things locally and I've gone uh, you know outside Texas a couple of times I go to the UK at the end of June. For some shows with the uh, th- that pedal show yeah, guys with, with uh, Dan and M- Mick and, and Dan, yep. and then then I go to to Italy to do a guitar camp with Frank Gambale and Tom Quayle, and then a camp at, in here in the states at the end of July with Paul Gilbert and some amazing guitar players. So, uh, yeah, little by little, getting out and about, you know, tentatively. Very cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for um, thanks for your time again. We spoke yeah, in um, 2016 when "Theme from a Perfect World" came out, and that was um, that was cool. That was such a, a fun conversation for me and to, to hear about that record. So I was pretty stoked when the new record uh, came out, "Electric Truth." So congratulations yeah. on the new record, and um, yeah, thanks for for having some time to talk with me about it. Oh man, ha- happy to be with you, man. Absolutely. Great. And you got your guitar in hand? This is an audio podcast. Yeah, I always, but... you know, in between interviews, I'll, I don't like downtime, so I'm usually just kind of working <laughs> on tunes or tones. Yeah. 
whatever it might be, you know. <laughs> Beautiful. That's so Plus, good. Plus, then I can punctuate, if need be, a musical example if we get where, wherever we go, right? Okay, okay. That's great. Yeah. Wow. I think last time we spoke, too, you had your, uh, your Zoom 9001 plugged in. Uh, <laughs> Are you serious? I remember. And it's, it sounded cool, but you've, you've kind of upped the, the online game a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't imagine why I would have had the Zoom unless I was replicating some of my old tunes, because that would have been the old Zoom processor What was uh, was on my first record on, because I was I thought I was making demos, but we ended up releasing some of those demos as album tracks, like Carpe Diem, the original Cry For You, Hiroshima, Busta Soda. It was all direct into the board at the end of the session just to get a scratch track lead guitar down, you know, on top of the rhythm tracks. And uh, the spontaneity and the energy of the moment couldn't be, you know... You know, bettered at the time anyway. But now I, go, I cringe and go, I can't believe I, that was my tone. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, it was a great practice tool. And I did a lot of writing on, on the old Zoom back in the day. But yeah, yeah. now I would tend to to uh, want to stick to organic, you know, over that. Yeah, sure, sure. Hey, so <laughs> <laughs> the new record was produced by Josh Smith. How How do you yeah. know Josh and how did that come about? I haven't known him that long. I I was just uh, like so many of us started to discover him on YouTube and different things online, and I just became such a fan. Just you know, because I could recognize the 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 deep you know foundation of blues, but I heard the jazz stuff and the mm-hmm. other stuff that you know always draws my ear. Like, oh, okay, this guy's going a little deeper, like a lot of my favorite players do normally. So uh, I just, I got his number somehow. I don't even remember who I got it from, but I just reached out to him just to tell him, Hey man, I'm love your plan. I'm a fan. And you know, that, and that was that, but it, you know, we got to be friends and he, he, he was telling me that he was just, this would have been 2019. He said, yeah, man, I just finished my home studio. It's been my life dream to have this great recording studio so I can invite friends, man. Why don't you come out, come out and do some recording, you know? And so the more we talked about it, we kind of came upon the, uh, the idea that he would produce and, you know, I would just kind of come out as the artist. I wanted him, because I wanted to do something just outside of my normal uh, power trio, which I love my, you know, the Andy Timmons band. That's, that's my my uh, my stable of players, and I love it dearly. But it's also nice to, to you know, collaborate with other, other, other artists and other musicians. And so I just wanted, I, I always loved the musicians I heard Josh playing with. And I knew that if I just kind of let him take the reins, I'll just come out, bring some songs. And I was pretty confident that it was going to work you know uh-huh. and just kind of have my voice be plugged into a bit of his world you know which i kind of consider bluesy organic some funk and some jazz in there and it just it came together real organically like that you know i i had i had quite a few tunes written you know for that project or maybe i had a, like one in my back pocket the tune grace had been around for a few years i just hadn't recorded it with oh, my okay. band great and he wrote something specifically for the record and we and we co-wrote a couple things so, you know, so I came out in uh, early 2020, right at the begin, right before NAM. You know, a lot of players usually go out for the NAM show every every January in Anaheim, in the before times anyway. Uh, <laughs> and so we did the record in two and a half days, and I was going to fly, as far as the, 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 the four, you know, band members playing together, bass, guitar, drums, and keyboards, and I was going to come back in March to finish, you know, overdubs and whatever we needed to do to finish, but of yep. course... Nobody went anywhere yes. in March of 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everything got locked down. So, of course, that, that that pulled the plug on the project for a while. But I was able to finish it in my home studio. And Josh and his amazing engineer, Alan Hertz, were, were able to get it mixed, um, you know, sometime, I guess, the end of last year. Then by the time you find a window to release it and do all the promo, it takes a while sometimes. So it's it's kind of handy to have this record in my back pocket and this fun project collaborating with Josh, who was just a just a treat to work with. Mm-hmm. Really great to work with another guitar player as the producer. You know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. You, you know, we we have our careers and we have our things that we do really well, but it's cool to tap into each other's world a little bit. Okay. You know what I mean? And yep. so I really, I really enjoyed that. And having some ears on the other side of the glass that you know, you know that's a really great guitar player. You, you know, um, it was it was a lot of fun for me. And I think the 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 difference in the way the band played with me and what that brought out of my playing made it a really fun, unique thing. You know different than my normal trio records. Okay, yeah. I was yeah, yeah. really interested in having, as I said, a guitar player produce you. Um, the last record yeah. was co-produced with yourself and, and Mike Dunn, who's been yeah. your long-time yeah. trio bass player. What, yeah. So are there any specific 
uh, instances you can talk about where Josh, as a guitar player, led you in a certain direction or how he produced you? Well, he would have had, you know, hey, try this, you know, if there was like an overdub part or, Mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't a whole lot. When it came to the melodies and stuff, most of those came from me and, you know, there was plenty of respect there from him. Uh, But he was really great at some suggestions for maybe the keyboard player or like at the end of EWF, uh, you know, cause I wrote the main, the main theme of the, you know, got too much to that. Ah. ah, my expression pedal isn't working. Hold on a sec. One second. <laughs> I've got a prototype pedal here. Now it's working. Aha. Okay. Anyway. So that little funky tune, So it's kind of built around that pseudo, you know, Al McKay, Earth, Wind, and Fire thing. Yeah, but he yeah. came up with a couple of really cool riffs for the end because we needed kind of a jam section. Okay. He came up with. Uh-huh. Really cool. That repeats. Like we had the tune kind of rehearsed and getting and getting it together. This oh man, it needs it needs another riff at the end, uh-huh. and that's the kind of thing that I'm not as great at. Is like you know I can write the tune, but when there needs to be some other little section, sometimes. So it was killer that he just had this kind of Hendrixy, you know, four four five four, you know, sequence of tunes. Like oh, this is great, and I and I, and I rarely write things that have kind of an odd meter, you okay. know. So yep. that gave another extra flair to it. So. That that track might it might have been the first, if not the second take, and it's all live when we get the track. So we kept as much as we could from whatever you know. I was in uh, you know, on the floor, as they say, with the with the with the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And when you can get that kind of interplay and that feel, it's it's handy if you can keep what you play. And there's a couple areas I get into where like, oh man, I might have wanted to play something different, but it all feels good because we're all kind of tapped into what what each other is playing. It's a very we call it very large ears. You know what I mean? Everybody's really tuned into each other and it's a wonderful situation to step in with players, even though we hadn't played together before mm-hmm. as, as far as me with, with Lamar Carter on drums, uh, Travis Carlton on bass and Darren Johnson on keyboards, they'd worked a bunch together either with Josh and, you know, with many, many, many great players. So, okay. but uh, fortunately I found it fairly easy to, to fall in, with as, as a unit, you know what I mean. And it, but it, that takes it's it's a compromise, right? It's everybody's got to listen to. Where's my time feel? How how's everybody else feeling it? You know, and so I, I, hopefully the the results were good. But I, I, I that's why I wanted to put EWF first on the record because it uh-huh. really kind of was a good example of the whole experience for me, which was pretty easy to be honest. Aside from just you know wanting to play the best I could, you know it's 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 relatively well. Let's just say exponentially easier when the band sounds that great. You know what I mean? This <laughs> yeah. record would sound just as great without my guitar playing in it. Trust me. It's just, they sound so beautiful, man. Just great sounds all the way around. And, and of course, Alan Hurts, yeah, yeah. the guy that I mentioned that engineered and mixed the record, did a wonderful job of keeping it really organic sounding, you know? That's cool. Yeah, I loved that. Um, and EWF was the first single, of course, that you released too. So it was a nice, yeah. it was a nice shout out. So uh, that, that was been out for a little while and... We've been hanging out for the record since that tune. The couple of things you mentioned, the yeah, the that five and four pushing against each yeah. other at the end is so fun. That snare displacement is it? Um, yeah. If you're not playing against that a lot, how does that push your phrasing in different directions as well? Completely. So you could, and if you, if you, well, of course, I know me better than anybody, but I can hear myself not really knowing where I am. And I remember uh, yeah. I remember the take. Yeah, yeah. You know, and fortunately Lamar was like, he would kind of set up where that next downbeat was coming every now and then or really set up a phrase. And that would inspire me to play certain things, right? But yeah, it's I don't practice odd meter stuff ever. You know, I I would have to back in the day working with Simon Phillips all the time because he, you know, he's writing in 15, 16 and 11, 8 or what whatever's going on. And so th- those are challenging things for me, but I love doing it because it is challenging. You know what I mean? It's, um, 
you know, I like playing shuffles. I like playing ballads, but it's also nice to have something that, that stretches out a little bit. And so that was nice that, that Josh brought that flavor into it. Killer riff, but then also a little bit of an odd phrasing. And that's bound, that's going to bring different stuff out. It's going to bring, you know, different, you know, fresh ideas, hopefully. I mean, it's, no matter what the situation, I'm hoping to come up, especially with improvisation, something that's fresh and new to myself, as well as, as well as the listener, you know. We rely on certain vocabulary, but I don't, I don't play a lot of scales, you'll notice, when I solo. I'd rather it be melodic ideas kind of connected to each other in the moment. And that's what I, you know, what I've gotten from some of my favorite improvisers, one namely being Chet Baker, who I never really heard play a lot of licks. He was always just kind of in the moment playing melodies, you know. Uh, so when that can happen, that's, that's my favorite kind of stuff. That's cool. The, that secondary riff you mentioned as well, too, um, just staying on EWF for an example. Um, sure. So you're modulating. So the main theme, the main head's in B, B minor, that yeah. riff's in E minor. I've noticed in your composition, even though Josh, I guess, brought that second riff, was uh, you're a you're a big fan of the modulation in a big lot time, of your work. Yeah, where I guess when words fail, for example, you're in A major, you go to A minor, so it's like a modal mm. kind of shift. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that tune in a moment, but you're in C, but you move it to E flat. Which which tune was? What's the E flat? Is it Grace? You're in C. And then you've got that G minor, A flat, E flat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because it starts in C. So how do we get to E flat? It's a big G minor. That B section kind of goes to F, and then we're da, 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 now just. So the the last chord of that chorus, or yeah, the main the main melody is a B flat. So then I just go down to the G minor. There it is. There you go. I use that. That flat seven turns to be the five of the next of yeah, the next okay. key. I always love any any time I can get out of the key because it's usually a pretty emotional tug on the heartstring when you can do it just right. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with. Uh, somehow get into it. So we'll want to play F major out of a out of A major. That kind of relates to the A minor. Yeah. That's when that's words fail common. that you're quoting here. I'm sorry? That's when words fail. Is that what you're That's when words fail, exactly. Yeah, yeah, nice. So there's typically in my most not all my tunes, but the, it's it's a device I love to see, you know, when I can employ it. When I when I just need to to like tug on that heartstring a bit or turn that corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's so and that's a nice moment in that tune. What chord is it? C sharp. Don't even know what some of these chords are. I'm just <laughs> I'm doing so much by ear as well as you know harmonically yeah, knowing yeah. what I'm doing. Um, but then it gets leads right back to the A, right? So. Anyway, that's cool. So learn my own tunes. I'll, I'll have to take lessons from myself and figure that one out. Well, we'll oh, there's a course for that. We'll, we'll talk about it in a moment for sure. Hmm. The um, yeah, it's so effective. How did you get into that? What? When did you notice in your composing that you were digging modulation or in your listening? I think background? it would have just been from whatever songs that I was learning that I recognized. Oh, that's what's happening. That's uh-huh. why I dig that. You know, Brian Wilson, John, John Lennon was brilliant with common tone. Shifting like a within a mm. 
already, you know, the melody stays the same. Yeah, In fact, yeah. the the very first run through of, of uh, Lucy in the Sky, John's singing, picture yourself in a boat on a river. And Paul suggests, picture yourself in a boat on a river. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I mean, that's, whoa. I mean, that's, there's a world right there. And so I just, just started exploring and recognizing that, well, if I have, you know, I love if I can find a common tone to. You know, just finding yeah. ways, devices of uh, of shifting the harmony to go to a next section, be it a bridge or a chorus or, or whatever it might be, within the first... Uh, like there's a tune I wrote called um, That Day Came, which starts off... It just starts off in, in F-sharp minor. To the five. And the melody goes... Which, if you only heard the melody, you'd think it goes back to that F-sharp minor, but actually what happens is... Five again. Now, but that resolves. So I've used a similar device to get to two different keys. One being, you know, back to A major to the relative minor. And then here, to C major. But then that resolving to A, then. So it's, now I'm in F. But it's not a leap. It's not like the static, uncomfortable modulation. It's all just being weaved and tied together by a simple melody. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I can I can trace certain things like that back to Lyndon McCartney and certainly Brian Wilson. Um, but yeah, I'm finding it in, you know, Chopin. There's a lot of instances where Chopin's doing some incredible things very similar to this and i over the pandemic you know decided i was going to listen to his entire body of work okay you know? nice. had the time <laughs> uh you know and just he's just one of those composers that i you know you find people you resonate with or are doing things that you hope to do and it's always great to absorb that and find that commonality wherever it can come from you know so very cool we mentioned mm-hmm. the song grace we're talking about about that a little bit. Um, shout out yeah. to the Trading Fours podcast because I listened to the, your interview on, on ah. that show, and um, there was a beautiful story about Grace. Could you share that? What inspired? Oh, absolutely, that song? yeah. So, and so this is the one song I'd written a few years before doing doing the recording with Josh, and I'd played it once with not even my own band. I was it was just an, a, a one off gig, and I decided I want to play this tune, and so it hadn't really been documented uh, in the past. But anyway. Um, I'd gone to one of these traveling Hendrix experience tours where they get together a bunch of, uh, you know, really well-known guitar players and they play a night of Hendrix music. So on this particular night, it was Eric Johnson, everybody from Eric Johnson to Zach Wilde to, uh, who else was playing, but Doyle Bramhall Jr. Um, I think a buddy guy was there that night. That's right. And, but Billy Cox was part of the band. So he would play on some tunes. So Jimmy's original bass playing buddy from the, from the military. And of Uh course, from the band of gypsies and the last incarnation of the uh, Jimmy Hendrix experience. So Billy was there. So I was really excited. I I had a chance to play with Noel Redding years and years ago in New York city, Mm -hmm. but to me, you know, he's the last, you know, remaining band member from uh, Jimmy's career. So to get to go see him play was, was, uh, an honor, but I happen to get to the, the gig early enough and I'm walking into the venue and at the merch table is Billy uh-huh. and his wife, Brenda, and they're just hanging out, you know, he's signing autographs and she's kind of taking care of business. And so I'm, uh, but, so I brought, I had brought my band of gypsies record with me just, just in case I met the man. Excellent. So here's, here's my opportunity. So I, I, I'm not shy being a fanboy. trust me. So, uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, just, I just go up and have a chat and he graciously, you know, took a picture and signed the record. And, they weren't that busy, so we were just kind of hanging out. And his wife Brenda 
um, I was also having quite a chat with and really just the sweetest couple. And as I'm talking to her, it came out in conversation that they'd been married for something over 50 years or wow. just, you know, some, wow. you know, incredible number. And uh, my wife and I are now married 25 years. So I always, anytime I'm, I'm around, you know, an older married couple, it's just a, a funny question, but I, come on, what's the secret guys? You know, what's been the, what's been the secret to you, mm-hmm. this long lasting relationship? So I asked Brenda that and she, and she just gives me this look and says, grace. <laughs> That's and awesome. so, That's you beautiful. know, having been married a lengthy time myself, I knew exactly what she meant in that, yeah. you know, nobody's perfect. And it takes a lot of uh, forgiveness and empathy and understanding of your mate to, you know, to make things work and a lot of compromise. So it was just such a, a heavy thing to hear. And the way she said it to me really resonated. So I went home that night and the, and the tune just kind of wrote itself. Um, so I thought, well, if I ever record this, I'll send it to Billy and Brenda. And so sure enough, you know, once we had the basic tune, it maybe not even was the final mix, but I sent them. I, mm-hmm. I'd had their email. I, I, I must have reached out after we had had that contact back then, and and uh, sent it, and they listened to it and really loved it. And I was really uh, felt that, well. There, there, I've been successful because they received the song in in the in the in the way that I intended it as a very much a tribute to obviously Billy's time with Jimmy, but to them as a couple, you know, and and for, to to beat the odds of, you know, being, being able to stay together that long. It's really beautiful. Right. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, they, they said really sweet things and they're really nice people, man. So I wish them the best. That's lovely. That's so cool. Yeah. And man, <laughs> it's a beautiful tune. Um, opening Thank with you, those man. Hendrixy kind of chords and yeah, um, for sure. I had to, I had to have that in there. A little tribute. And then the end, it gets pretty trippy as well. There's some, uh, yeah, well that was cool a little textures. nod to the, after we hit the big last chord, just, I put some backwards guitar in and just let some different effects come in and out. And I had I had the mix engineer add some fa- phasing at the yeah, end. Yeah, nice. Kind of like, you know, Eddie Kramer was doing yes. back with uh, yeah. Axis Bold as Love. Yeah, I wanted to kind of create a bit of a psychedelic uh, Jimmy experience. Yeah. Very <laughs> cool. Your your production um, practice, I guess, in, in a sense, has changed a little bit. You were doing like very strictly trio albums then yeah. last record you you and, and mike in the production said okay let's start overdubbing let's start adding some parts this album sure. i guess with the live band but as well as there's a bunch of guitar overdubs as well opens it yeah. up even perhaps a bit more yeah so that's that's the beauty of of change and and shaking up the way that you do things that was the story behind the resolution record when i that was the first one i did with Mike Dane as co-producer and we decided well, it was something Steve Vai had said to me about how he loved the sections, you know, of, of a couple of songs I'd recorded for the first record that he put out called that was then this is now. He said, I love those sections where it's just guitar, bass and drums. I can really hear your fingers on the frets. So by the time I'd gotten to resolution, I was really pretty burned out with the guitar records. You know, it's like, okay, you do the rhythm track, double the rhythm track, you yeah. know, and then do, and, and the, and just the kind of contrived pattern that it had gotten into, at least at least to my ear and for, and for my own thing. So that I, I having already we'd recorded all the basic tracks, and I would have improvised solos, and I just wasn't wasn't happy with anything that I played. It just I didn't think it was going anywhere new. And but there, it, when I, that thought creeped into my head about what Steve said, I went, what if I could do the whole record with just one guitar? And then I got excited because I knew. I knew it was going to be hard, you know, without, without the comfort of beds of guitars mm-hmm. and layering, you know, the tone, you know, can, can be really good and, and it'll be fine in the context. But if it's just one guitar, man, that better yeah. be a damn good guitar sound. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So that's when Mike, you know, and that was the first time Mike and I had worked together at his studio to do tracking. You know, we, we, had, we had done the basic tracks with our normal engineer, Rob Wexler, down at a lovely uh, analog room uh, called Palmyra down in Palmer, Texas, you know, recording to two inch tape and all that and had a really great organic sound to it. But again, I, at this point I, I realized I'm going to scrap everything that I did and, and, and work at it from an angle of, I need to incorporate chord and melody when necessary and have no overdub. So we went down through the process of really taking sometimes a week or two just to get the right sound and try to really get the best tone. And also by then I would have known and taken the time to compose every note, I knew exactly what I wanted to play. I learned from the improvisations that I'd done mm-hmm. what bits of the solo I liked and then what I didn't like. 
And then I gave myself permission to just compose it, which I'd never done. I kind of had this jazz or session guy mentality. Oh, it's got to be live. It's got to be, you know, one or two takes. And that's fantastic if you get that and it's amazing. And sometimes I get lucky, like on the new record, there's, there's, there's plenty of live solos, but, um, at this particular point, I just decided, man, I'm going to have every note. I'm going to be happy with every note on this record because that's never been the case. It's like, yeah, that's cool. Oh, man, I wish I would have. So now we've taken the time with the tone. I've, I've agonizingly, and when I say agonizing, I'm not getting like beaten me, myself up more than I ever have in my life. And I get critical in the studio, but really got it to where I knew what I had, what I wanted from every note and uh-huh. basically got it. I mean, there's you know, the odd thing here and there. Oh man, I wish I would a little bit better. But so that I couldn't have done the Sergeant Pepper arrangements without having gone through that experience. So yeah, then sure. we actually had gone in to record what was to be a theme from a perfect world, but ended up also tracking all these Beatle arrangements because some, some extra studio time had become available. And so I did that whole project having evolved as a player from the resolution. But then by the time we got to the theme from a perfect world, we finished the Pepper record first. Then I went back and I composed theme from a perfect world on the one guitar, but now it's like, okay, well, we've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, give give yourself the keys to the toy chest again, and yeah, all. Yeah, Put some piano on there, some organ. What about another another clean tone? Or so, I, the, and it was difficult. So it was like, oh, I haven't done this in a while. This is fun again, right? And having gone through that experience of 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 the really minimalist approach, um, I think really reignited my you know, the fire a bit in my desire to keep growing. And, and it was a really important step of my growth, I think, at that point. It was real necessary, as torturous as it was, trust me, to, <laughs> to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm proud of those records. All three, all three of those, I think, are, you know, some of the, certainly the better things in my catalog. I'm, I'm proud of the early stuff too, but when you're bound to grow, and luckily I didn't peak when I was 21 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I, haven't, I hopefully haven't peaked yet, so, so I'm going to keep working on that. I think I think things are going okay. I think uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing some potential. I don't know about you, but I'm 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 I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah, hang in there, hang in there. We'll see. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, a comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cock. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. So on the um, so on the new record, on Electric Truth, yeah. when I'm hearing rhythm guitars and things, are you overdubbing those later? After those yeah, live I sessions, have, I would have played live with the band and soloed in whatever solo section. So if we decided we need rhythm guitar, and and Josh Smith plays on one track, we played live together on uh, Johnny T. Yeah, that's so fun. he plays some incredibly great rhythm guitar, and I think arguably plays the best solo on the record. <laughs> Josh, way to go, man! Thanks, buddy. Now he really plays a killer solo. And I, I ended up, and on that track, I ended up redoing because I I. I over time figured out better ways of playing the melodies and ended up playing it on a Les Paul tuned down a whole step, but with 13s on it. And oh, famously wow. Josh uses 13s on his, on his, uh, his, his Strat and his Tele style yeah. guitars. So there's a, a pretty fat tone that I need to hold up to playing next to him. Okay. So it was just kind of handy that one, it was, you know, I, I recorded it um, in standard tuning on the original track, but it really sounded great once I tuned the guitar down to, you know, a whole step lower and played it in E. That's mm-hmm. like there I had because I had a lot more open string available kind of licks and it kind of turned out kind of ZZ topish in a way. You uh-huh. know? So I like I like the tone and the approach on that tune, but I love Josh's rhythm playing for sure. Nice. Hey, let's talk yeah. guitars. You mentioned uh, mentioned the Les Paul. What what yeah. else uh, did you drag out? So several tunes were actually composed on a telly. I've got a, a nice old '68 uh, Maple Neck telly, uh-huh. and I, you know, once I started getting into Josh's thing, and we were going to work together, I had my telly out. So I was EWF was written on that guitar, Apocryphal was written on that guitar. So the telly is used on those two tracks. I've got a couple of old Strats um, for the Hendrixy thing. That's a '65 Strat for the, the song Grace, and also for, excuse me, for When Words Fail. 
you see, there's a, I have a video out on, on YouTube that's also using that old white strat. Yeah. And nice. of course, my, my main guitar has always been this um, 1994 prototype of my AT100. And that's my go to. I mean, I can, I can play all those tunes on this guitar. And that's what I will mainly do live because I don't tour with those vintage guitars. Yeah. Right. Um, but I mean, for a real specialty tone, sometimes a nice vintage, whatever it might be, just, just really suits, suits the bill. But, uh, and I'm also loving the new uh, ATZ line, where it's got got the roasted maple. Uh, so these are what I'll be touring with and traveling with. And actually, I've been tracking this guitar in the studio lately a lot too. So they all they all get a bit of use. Yeah, know? nice. But yeah, and then, then the Les Paul was used on um, on Johnny T and also a '66 Rickenbacker 12 string. Real subtle, real subtle parts was, but that was Josh saying, "Man, man, if you got an old twelve string, try you know, try uh, playing these playing these changes over, you know." Okay, great, I'll try that. That's great. I, I love I love layering and those a little bit of tremolo guitar. That's probably the, my old uh, sixty four deluxe amp on that one. Everything else is the Mesa Lone Stars. So I'm just using that. I rented some for at Josh's studio. Then I've got my Lone Stars here in my studio. So that's my go to platform for my pedal. Puddle jungle. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Sounds great. There's um, there's one regret from my conversation in 2016, and uh, I'm, I'm glad to finally try and set that straight. Your oh. your prototype AT guitar has got that little yeah. broken scratch plate, and oh yeah, I, I ever see every time I see that guitar, I think, why didn't I ask Andy how that broke? <laughs> oh, how it broke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the story? Well, so. I can't tell you how many people have asked me, why don't you fix that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, no, it's, it, well, well the, it the truth of it was, is that over time, I mean, this is a, it was the Florentine, you know, it got in the, the pickguard would come to a point. Yeah. And it's a real, it, after that screw, it's a pretty thin piece of plastic. So over time it just warped and yeah. started curling up. Uh-huh. And then one day it was just gone. I don't even know where it went. So <laughs> I've lost a bit more too. There's a bit, missing oh yeah the bit of the the top of the pit guard here just chipped away the other day uh-huh. but uh so so it goes i mean now it's now it's a vintage guitar i guess and it's, it's yeah you know it's it's been through a lot and uh, it's been refretted we think eight times it might be nine we're not okay. sure um ibanez refretted a couple times in two different luthiers here in dallas have refretted it multiple times one one guy said you know it's going to just turn to dust one day <laughs> and that will be sad, but so far it's it's holding up, man. It's it's still hanging in there. It's still my call it my whoopee. It's uh, my go to, you know. It's awesome, man. Well that that you know that yeah. scratch play, that's your signature. Everyone knows uh it's your guitar when they see that. Yeah, I think so, right? In and, fact when the when the A Z when the eight A Z line came out yes. and they they kind of softened the Florentines, everybody assumed that this was shorter because all the you're you're emulating the old broken pit guard, but no, it's just it's just because they changed the body shape and the pit guard kind of matches that. It's not not as pointy, well, which I like. I think it's a, I think that's a good looking guitar. Yeah. It's cool, yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. noticed that that shorter scratch plate thing. I, th- I thought for sure Andy's got to get some some percentage points on that or some royalties. <laughs> Definitely not, but you know, uh, it's all good. Very cool. Very cool. Man, it's a treat to seeing you play that guitar. Or- both guitars it's so cool oh thank you brother hey you really jumped into the the online guitar thing when obviously all the lockdowns were, were kicking in so a couple of things um i want to speak about um before we before we go but the i guess one's the guitar experience course that you've started mm-hmm. um and also just your online concerts that you got yeah right into yeah. which became such a cool thing oh well, I mean, the guitar experience, I think I started that around 2017, and it kind of stemmed from I hadn't done any official guitar courses over the years. I had a couple offers from companies occasionally, but I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a commitment phobe when it comes to business sometimes. <laughs> it's like you never feel comfortable. How's this going to go? Mm-hmm. So the, this company, Truefire, um, had been around for a while, and I had a friend named Jeff Mackerlane who I'd met. We did some guitar camps in the early 90s. Um, anyway, so he was doing a lot of work with them. Said, hey, man, they really want to work with you. You know, you should consider this. And I thought about it. He said, yeah, you know, and, but I had noticed that Larry Carlton and Robin Ford had both been doing courses for True Fire. Mm-hmm. 
So I kind of thought, man, if these guys are cool with it, it must be because these guys have been through everything, all the shady business dealings, you know, through the music music business from the seventies forward. Uh-huh. If Ro- if my heroes Robin and Larry are, are cool doing it, and my friend Jeff is telling me, man, these guys are really great, then I need to consider it. So and I did, and I'm really glad I did. Um, we've done I don't know maybe three or four courses by now, and it was such a great experience, and I. I, I and at that point had been teaching a little bit after not having taught in a long time. Where my good friend George Fuller opened a music store in, here in McKinney, where I live, called the Guitar Sanctuary, and they have teaching studios. And he asked if I would teach a friend of like a friend of his son's, right, one of his friend's son. And I found I really enjoyed it. Where when I was younger, for whatever reason, it just it seemed like a bit of a chore, and maybe I didn't feel that I was that good at it, or or either didn't realize at the time what I had to offer as a teacher, you know? And so maybe with a bit of a bit more wisdom, a little bit more experience, I had done that a little bit. And then when true fire asked me to come down and teach, I find, I find, I found it was really coming a lot more naturally than I ever thought. Um, so the courses went so well and it was so, it was pretty easy for me to do that because they have such a system down there. As long as you kind of know what you're talking about, you're in good shape. Just come down and record your material. So, you know, I really should do this for all my songs because we weren't dealing with specific songs of mine, global concepts and improvisation and, and, and that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I just came up with the concept. Well, I should go through my entire catalog song by song, play the tune on camera, and then, you know, have I have a friend that I met in Sao Paulo that's an amazing transcriptionist. So he transcribes everything for me. And then I, you know, in addition to playing the song, will then get on camera for usually about an hour to an hour and a half and really go through the entire tune note for note to not only have that you have the transcription written or the guitar pro file to, to learn from, but then I go through and explain, you know, in real time, you know, well, this here's here's the phrase, here's how I play it. And then maybe explain well, what am I thinking and why, why does this sound the way it sounds? So I kind of try to get to the core of, of each phrase and component. And a lot of times, you know, having to explain something that may have come very natural all through my playing a career, but then have to, how do I explain how to do this? Well, here's what's happening, you know, and, but then also finding elements along the way. So it's not just about, okay, learn this song. If you want to learn this song, but each, each phrase and each idea, usually there's a world within that, that you could take and extrapolate it in, into many, many ways. So I'm, I'm finding things that I might've only played once for whatever reason and think, Oh man, I need to, I need to go back to that and really, see where how I can utilize that in other, you know, whatever different parts of the of the scale degrees or the you know the guitar neck in general. So, I'm learning a, a heck of a lot just by explaining some of these tunes of mine. So, that's yeah, that's one component. We try to do a new song every month, song of the month, clever title. But the uh <laughs> the other thing during the pandemic was, okay, nobody's got any gigs and I quickly saw a friend of mine um uh, advertising on social media about you know, hey, see me on stage at today at 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. I'm like, wow. But it, so I just, I got it in my head. Well, I'm going to do that too. I'll do two shows every Saturday. And I got a hold of this guy. His name's Jarrett Reddick. He's in a band called Bowling for Soup, which is a pretty well-known, yeah. you know, pop pop rock band, really great band. And so he's the lead singer for that group. And I said, man, show me the ropes. How do I do this? And he hooked me up with the, the company. It's called Stage It. They're the, pla- they're the platform that, that does the live streaming. And I just got set up with a simple camera and I'd already been, you know, getting good sounds in my studio. So I had backing tracks on all my records of all the tunes without my lead guitar. And I'm, and I've, I've done the clinics for years where I'm just, you know, yeah, playing yeah. along with tracks and talking to people. But now it's, I'm talking to a camera and people have a chat board that I can see off in the peripheral. <laughs> but, it, you know, it turned into a thing. The funny thing about Jarrett's situation was his post said, you know, 2 p.m. U.S., 8 p.m. U.K. It was one show. But he was promoting the time zones okay. for his fan base. Yeah. US and the UK is his big fan base. But I, I mistook that and thought, I'm going to do two shows every Saturday. So I, I very uh, naively doubled my gigs, <laughs> not realizing, A, this is going to be really hard, and B, you know. But it turned out amazing. And there was all these uh, loyal fans that came to almost every show, you know, plus uh, obviously others coming and going for smaller dose of doses of me but i was so blessed to have that to do you know what i mean not everybody was that fortunate so you know in 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 a very dark time in the world at least 
I had an avenue to to keep busy musically. Um, and it really, it, it gave, it, it gave some people a place to be and all these people became really good friends just by seeing each other on the message board and they're chatting away, you know? And so it was, uh, it was, it was something to do to keep busy. And I was very fortunate it, it, along with a lot of songwriting. So I've, I've got lots of records to come, trust me, <laughs> you know, lots of backlogs. I really found that, you know, nobody had been home that much. Any, any musician that, that traveled at all, none of us had ever been home that long. Uh-huh since the beginning of our careers, you know, and boy, I'm spoiled now. I just got, it's going to be a lot harder to get me to leave home. <laughs> so, uh, that's why and right now I'm not doing any lengthy touring. I'm getting out and doing little bits to get my toe back in the water, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's awfully, l- luckily my wife still loves me. I think, I think, right, sweetie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's the great, my son's, my son's 18 still living at home. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm happy to be there for that. Yeah, awesome. You know, yeah. That's cool. Oh, it sounds like you've you've struck a really good balance uh, in working. Yeah, in that way. Well, it really always cool. always has been. I mean, my my son, like you know, born in two thousand four. So from that moment on, every decision was based on meaning business music music business decision was based on if it was going to take me away from home too long or not. You know, and I would have to turn down certain gigs or tours if it was just going to be too much time away from home because I was determined not to miss my son growing up, you know, I had to work and I would go out, but if I could limit things to two or three weeks at a time, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. That way I wouldn't miss too much, even t- though two and three weeks when you're dealing with an infant is, is a lot of time. So it was very hard, man. It was very hard, but I'm very proud that I, I, I balanced it. I think the best that I possibly could have and, you know, really got to be with my son growing up. So these things you never regret. It's like, man, yeah. I should have done more gigs or man, I, you know, or I should have yeah. spent more time with my son. And I was like, yeah. I don't have to feel guilty about that because I, you know, did it the best I could. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's so good to hear. I've got um, we we we're probably similar ages. I've been married similar time as you. My kids are nice. similar age to yours, and uh, okay, I love yeah. hearing that. I love hearing that side of things too. It's That's amazing, beautiful. right? Yeah. Good for you, man. Do, well do, done. Do you, what, what, so, do you travel much with music, or are you able to stay home primarily? No, my my day job is music teaching. Um, oh, great! So fantastic. I, I'm playing. Pretty much every weekend, but it's it's I'm back home at night, or I'm away. Yeah, back for, home at night. That's, I'm away that's for the thing. one or two nights max. So oh, that's great. That's that, that's a good balance, man. So it's great that you're teaching and you got your, but you got some gigs on the weekend. And, yeah, but you're home, man. It's just that's that's the the good stuff right there. It is good there, man. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for speaking with yeah, me. Yeah, man. It's good to, good to speak to you, man. Loved it. Loved it. Could you um could you play us out with some stuff? Seeing as you yeah, all plugged in. in your, any requests? What would you like? Oh, requests. Okay. Um, man, I'm looking at my my notes. Can you play any of One Last Time? Ooh, I've never I'm try- played that acapella. This is a quirky tune because it's in B flat. Yeah, I don't play sh- B flat. I'm not sure why I chose B flat, but let me let me try. Uh- See that—that's one I—I I, I composed without chord and melody together. I composed that. I came up with the, the chord progression first. A very Yeah, yeah.
But a lot of the tunes, you know, uh, like Grace, that well, even that one, that doesn't really work so well as a solo piece. The riff is good. on solo arrangements of these tunes without my band you know oh man that's beautiful that's beautiful thanks 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 so much andy all the best with the uh with the record and your trip thank you thank you man well i hope i come to see you in australia as soon as possible truly one of my favorite places on the planet to be so uh yeah yeah do it back soon do it we'd love to see you all right thanks enjoy the rest of your evening cheers man thanks for listening to the record i appreciate it oh my great pleasure (laughs) Awesome, man. Cheers. See ya. Bye-bye. Oh, man. Andy Timmons on the Guitar Speak podcast. How good was that? Solo Andy Timmons just playing guitar for you and me. Good times. Good times. Hey, please check out the record, Electric Truth. It's out now everywhere. My great thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Todd. Love those guys. Got to tell you, it's been lots of fun in 2022 here on the show. Andy, in today's episode, Joe Satriani, Guthrie Govan, David Aegis, the iconic series has kept motoring on. The last episode was the uh, the Gibson Oddballs. That was lots of fun with my friends Rob and Gabor. And I've got to tell you, we've got some fun stuff coming up too. Some more themed shows with those guys and more interviews. Dave Leslie from Truck and the Baby Animals legendary author Dave Hunter talking about 75 years of Fender history. Chad Wynn, ex-Gibson employee, telling us some really fascinating behind-the-scenes stories about the Gibson factory there in Nashville and more more stuff to come. All right, my name's been Matt Wakeling. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'd like to leave you with some words of wisdom from the unbelievably legendary and influential German rocker Michael Schenker you know what he told us to do keep rocking keep on rocking keep on rocking indeed alright I'll catch you next time mm-hmm.